there's a letter from the captain. Jerome? <laughs> Read it. That is your son. General MacArthur talked to him twice. Fort Sill? Oklahoma. He's going to lecture them on artillery in Fort Sill. That's the field artillery center. That's like being invited to the Vatican to lecture the Pope. Imagine. I, I don't understand this attitude. Why? I'm happy for him. You don't seem happy to me. I'll never get used to it. Who goes in the army? Men who can't do anything else. I wanted people to see that a Jew doesn't have to be a lawyer or a doctor or a businessman. That's fine. But why must it be Jerome? For a Jewish boy, West Point is in honor. Without Mr. Case's connections, he'd never have gotten in. He could be the first Jewish general in the United States Army. Doesn't that mean something to be his mother? Well, I said I'm glad. Don't be upset. I am Richard Beecham, director of Broken Glass, which is a, a small play with six actors, and it takes us inside the bedroom of a couple whose marriage is in crisis in Brooklyn in 1938, on the other side of the Atlantic to the horrors unfolding in Nazi Germany. But the trigger event in this play is Sylvia Gelberg, the wife of this couple in Brooklyn, opens the New York Times and sees the photographs of Kristallnacht, uh, the pogrom against the Jews across Nazi-occupied Europe, um, and becomes fascinated and horrified by what she sees. And she becomes so horrified that she has an hysterical paralysis as a reaction to her reading and her seeing the pictures. But what Miller does then is he unpacks this dysfunctional marriage to look at wider and deeper concerns, concerns about identity, about anti-Semitism, about how a Jewish man can be so troubled by his Jewishness can have so internalized the anti-Semitism of the world around him, which in the 1930s New York was you know, pretty strong, wasn't virulent like in Nazi Germany, but it was hostile in many ways to its Jewish inhabitants and to the many Jewish immigrants that, of course, had come from the Russian Pale in the early 20th century. Two million of them landed in New York in a, you know, only a few years in the early 20th century. So I think Miller was very interested in looking at the figure of the self-hating Jew the figure of the Jew who has so internalized the anti-Semitism of the world around him that he no longer can look in the mirror. He's so troubled by what he sees. And I think Miller was there, then interested in looking at how a person afflicted with such identity conflict, how that is poisonous and toxic to all those around him. So his marriage starts to deeply suffer as a consequence. His work suffers as a consequence, his whole life starts to disintegrate because he cannot be at peace with who he is. So Miller was both looking at anti-Semitism and just the very core notion of what it is to be different in a world uh, where you are a minority and how that plays out as a psychodrama. I'm Charlotte Emerson and I'm playing Sylvia Gelberg. She's probably one of the most interesting characters that I've ever played. And, you know, it's obviously set in a period of time. I and mean, for Jewish people, the night of the broken glass must have been such a horrific turning point. You know, I mean, obviously they were building up to that the years before. But she has this amazing sixth sense as to what is to come. And she was absolutely right. She's really on the edge of, you know, her obsession with the Jewish people and what was going on in Germany and what she'd 
read in the New York Times, which um, we have a copy of actually, don't oh. we? Um, the, the days after the, 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 the night of the broken glass, it was the 9th and the 10th. Am I getting it right? November, I think. Yes, of November. Yes, yeah, so she's reading the, the the next days as it's coming out in the in the New York Times. She's reading all this kind of um, information that they're being sent across the seas, which is clearly horrific and unimaginable. Although at that point they weren't having these horrific killings, but um, it's like she knew, and then her. A 20-year relationship with her husband that has not been good and he basically is a sort of self-hating Jew and I think she knows that and that's deeply upsetting. I'm Michael Batus and I'm playing Philip Gelberg. The relationship is the beating heart of the play you know there's a, a husband and wife who probably should not be husband and wife and it it's taken a marriage of 25 years to even begin to figure out why that is and the narrative of the play is really them figuring that out but uh, the backdrop is really what matters about the play you know the fact that we are setting this just before the holocaust the fact that we are talking about a very recognizable jewish character somebody who feels the pressure either to just lose himself in Judaism completely and, as he says, put the talus over his head and become a full-time Jew or to assimilate himself into a society that either openly or covertly scoffs at Judaism and the pressure to somehow be a part of an America that doesn't really respect the faith. So although the marriage is, is the centre of our narrative, we have this fascinating period in history where anti-Semitism is very much the norm. She definitely gets deeply confused because she's having this sixth sense. She is finding it gradually harder and harder, I think, to function and not to confuse her thoughts from the paper, the, her thoughts for the doctor that's treating her, her relationship with her husband. I think she's a wonderful character, but she has serious moments of madness, really, while she's trying to comprehend what she's reading and her own life begin to sort of mingle together. But she's, she's clear in her thinking in, in some respects. I think really the most powerful message in the play is the fact that Sylvia, Charlotte's character, has all the feeling hammered out of her legs. So her legs have gone completely numb. She can't walk, she can't stand up. And what's caused this is a horrific sort of cocktail of what she's seeing in the newspapers, the horrors that are now bleeding over from Germany into the New York press, plus the fact that she's been living with her husband, his own Judaism, and also their love life their sex life has completely evaporated and now as a result of all of this she's lost all feeling in her legs. It's very clever though isn't it that that whole thing that he's taken the situation on the other side of the Atlantic mm. I mean nobody uh, had done that before I don't think you know that's that America's gradual realisation thing I think people might mm. have done since but I think mm -hmm. he was pro I mean, it's, and it's a long time after the war that he did mm. it. Yes indeed. Mm. What's extraordinary about Miller as a playwright is that he's able to take the temperature of the times. He was writing this play at the time of Kosovo and the genocide in Eastern Europe, and yet he was at the same time able to mine deep into the psychodrama of a particular 
couple, a, a particular family. Mm. So if he's looking at the personal and the social and the political and the psychological all in one moment through the prism of one story, which is the story, you know, of a couple inside their bedroom and yet the ramifications are so much larger than that. I don't think that Philip Goldberg is a particularly a self-portrait other than himself because I think he must have I think he was more comfortable in his Jewish skin than he's writing about but what are your feelings on Arthur Miller and his Jewishness so it comes up again and again obliquely and mm. directly mm. yes I mean you know one's researched around this quite a lot and he doesn't write a lot about it there's not much in time Ben's autobiography but we did find it in a very interesting uh, interview on the internet on YouTube when he was interviewed by an American and some news anchorman just whilst Broken Glass was um, previewing on Broadway and he talks quite a lot then about his Jewishness and yes I think you're absolutely right I think that he is, was most certainly more comfortable in his skin than Philip Gale because but he was troubled about um, you know Martha Miller didn't like to run with the crowd he liked to have his own voice, and actually that is a phrase that, uh, that Philip Gelberg uses in the play. He was troubled about being bracketed as something which may not accurately reflect who he was or what he felt. So although he was a supporter of Israel, I think you know, he was also, he didn't want to, he didn't wholeheartedly ap- approve of or, or every aspect of the Zionist project, and, and he didn't want to be lumped into a, a community of thought around that. He wanted to have his own voice heard. So I think... Um, and I think, you know, obviously, as he grew up, he must have experienced the anti-Semitism mm-hmm. of the world mm-hmm. around him. He couldn't not have done. And he must have internalised it to some extent and been able to rationalise it, I think, uh, to a great extent too. So um, he clearly is fascinated by issues of identity and Jewish identity um, and the notion of being different. As a Jewish director, mm. what, do, what does the play mean to you personally? Uh, gosh, it means so many things. Uh, I suppose, I suppose the, the the great line in the play, "Why do we have to be different?" resonates with me as a Jew. It resonates with me as a gay man. It resonates with me as a Northerner who lives in the South of England. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's really a, 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 something that fascinates me in the play. In terms of tr- the tradition of Judaism, it's something that we need to be aware of, and we're reading up on and our Jewish director and indeed Clara in the cast are helping inform and educate us on on all of this. Yes, I know on a a Jewish wedding there is smashed glass, Mm. isn't there? It's a very powerful image. But of course The Broken Glass is such a wonderful title because it refers to Jewish tradition but it also refers to The Broken Glass in Germany and also I think the shattered mirrors in their lives. There's a lot of image within the play of reflections of our faces in the mirror, and in fact the whole set is a sort of a wonderful burnished mirror that revolves. So just finally, can we just talk through the, the different characters in this yeah. play? Because I'm always fascinated by that, you know, there's the character of the doctor who's mm. very, very confident. Mm. Um, and what he's, he, so if we just say they, they, a doctor has to be called in mm. to examine Sylvia, and, mm. and the decision is that she's it's psychosomatic, the paralysis. Mm. But he's going to sort of, I think, is it almost like a laying on of hands, which in this day and age is quite worrying, isn't <laughs> it, with doctors? I'm, I'm right on that. Well, this doctor certainly crosses all sorts mm. of ethical boundaries, mm. uh, and he's warned off uh, getting involved by his wife in the play, Margaret. Um, Yes, I mean, it's, it, it, the character of the Doctor is a fascinating one. In many ways, he is sort of the audience's guide mm. through the play. He, he, he diagnoses what is wrong with this woman, and he journeys us through this puzzle of what 
on earth could make a healthy woman suddenly become paralysed. So he's, he's in a sense a bit of a sleuth, he's a bit of an Hercule Poirot, mm-hmm. picking up the clues and finding out what, what's been going on. And at the same time, he complicates the narrative because he becomes emotionally involved with his patient. So it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting portrait, and certainly in, in, in uh, uh, the current you know, at the moment when there's all sorts of... Mm-hmm. Discussions, the Me Too campaign about power and male power and patriarchy and uh, abuse. There are some, some not uncom- there are some you know, uncomfortable uh, uh, overtones in the play. Yeah. Well, I'll say I can't read her contemporaries. You know, that mm. was the, I, when I, I remembered and I thought, my God, there's that yeah. as well. Huh? Yeah, I mean, right. it's sort of worrying in a way. Well, very worrying. Um, and then there are. Uh, the other character that's interesting is the non-Jewish boss. Mm. And I think the last time I saw it, he was incredibly tall, and Philip was very short. <laughs> you know, the sort yeah. self-hating Jew. He was very hunched. Yeah. I think yes. it was Anthony Sher actually. What's he called? The boss, Danton Case. Danton Wiley Case. Oh gosh. So, <laughs> so he is the all-American. He is. He's 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 you know the Upper East Side. You know. Uh, patrician New Yorker, the Harvard education goes sailing. So yes, he is. He is the world that was and perhaps still is, not consciously anti-Semitic, but mm. held all sorts of attitudes towards Jews mm. that we might perhaps these times, these days, sort of call institutional mm. anti-Semitism, mm. unconscious anti-Semitism. Uh, and Philip desperately want, wants to be part of that world, and yet, of course, never can be. He's always the Jew that's hired to do the dirty work. And that's something that Philip has to come to terms with uh, during the course of the play. Um, but like in, the, obviously, the production that you saw, yes, we do have a very tall actor <laughs> playing Case. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, the theme's definitely emerging here. And that leaves, the, yes, the sister, doesn't it? There's Harriet. Harriet, yes. Harriet is, is Sylvia's sister. Yes, I mean, it's an interesting relationship. Like, like many siblings, they're very different creatures. Sylvia is thoughtful, you know, a clever woman who, had she been born in another time, would have gone to university and had a big career. Her sister is a home bird. She's not, uh, she's not clever. She's uh, an instinctive woman. She's a homemaker. The, the sisters love each other but don't see eye to eye. Uh, and that is a source of love and a source of friction in the play. So it's good that there are s- several strong female roles in it. Absolutely, there's some very strong female roles. My name's Clara Francis, and I'm playing Harriet in Broken Glass, who is the sister of uh, Sylvia, who is the main protagonist. My role within the play is she lives in New York, she's busy, she's looking after her children and her husband. She hasn't, she doesn't read the paper, she doesn't know what's going on on the other side of the world. So she doesn't know what's happening in Germany. They're getting all the news in in the New York Times. I don't think my character would read the paper. So in a funny sort of way, my character is very removed from, from, so I don't have the emotion, the emotional baggage of that in the play Mm. and I can't understand why my sister who is getting so emotional about it mentally and and then it sort of um, manifests itself in a physical way her her horror about what's happening I can't uh, my character doesn't understand it I don't carry that part of the play but I feel it yeah what you are I suppose you're a foil to her that is exactly yeah and that she you know you're the you're the normal Yes, in exactly. Commas, and, and, and my character mm. keeps saying, this isn't normal. Your behaviour isn't normal. Mm. So, you know. The play has special resonance for you personally, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Uh, my 
family on my mother's side, I'm my my father's Jewish as well, but on my mother's side, they were my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, and they were German German Jews, and the play itself is based around the events that happened on Kristallnacht in November 1938. And my grandparents were both sort of late teens in Germany at that time, so were, were both affected by that night. And my grandfather, who at the time was, I think, 19, um, his father owned uh, a, a shop in um, a suburb just outside Frankfurt in a place called Offenbach. And he had this big shop that sold leather goods and, and the shop was completely, um, completely destroyed that night. And um, the windows were broken. And my grandfather's father, who was, is my great-grandfather, actually had a heart attack and died. And my grandfather on that night was arrested and sent to Buchenwald concentration camp. But he did get out was there for a few months this is before they turned into extermination camps and he ma amazingly had connections the family were connected to you know just they were good people you sort of think around that time there were it was just evil bad bad but there were a lot of good Germans not Jewish Germans who helped my my grandparents um, get the paperwork in order to get them out of Germany, which is what happened to my grandpa. He came over to the UK, but very last minute. It was very difficult to get to get him out. So he came over in '39, when his papers came through. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a powerful story, and he wouldn't be here if I know telling it, would yeah. you? If it wasn't no. for him getting out, it's incredible. Yeah, mm. it's it really is. It is, um, and whilst we've been rehearsing, my mum gave me a letter that has, we've never translated. My mum speaks German, but it's it's very difficult to understand this letter. And it was written by my great-grandmother who didn't manage to get out of Germany and died uh, in a concentration camp, in extermination camp. And she, but her husband, my great-grandfather, my grandmother's father, it's very complicated, mm. did manage to come to the UK so she was stuck in Germany. She didn't think she needed to leave because she just, because how can you know? How can you, which is essentially what the play is about. Yes. You know, you, you, who, it's, it, the play is set before we know what happened, before we know about the mass killings. Um, but this character in the play, Sylvia, has a sort of premonition. Mm. She knows what's going to happen. And my great-grandmother, who stayed in Germany, she she left it too late because she was like, but we're German. We, we're, we're German more than we are Jewish. We've lived in, in Germany for 500 years. We're Germans. What? They're not going to do anything. And she was wrong. And so we found this letter that was sent to my great-grandfather when he was, had, was already in the UK. It was written in 1942. And it was the last letter she wrote to him because she was going on a train. We know mm. that now because, we, because Richard's husband uh, is German, translated the letter for me, and uh, I got it yesterday, and it's incredible, yeah. And does she, does, she hasn't got premonitions, it's all terrible? No, no, no. so it's, it's very strange. Oh. So she says, we're going tomorrow. Uh, I think she's with her cousins, uh, and she mentions two other friends who've already gone. Mm. Hopefully we'll see them when we get there, 
But then she says something at the end of the letter, which was, she doesn't think they're going to see each other again, which is quite strange. She th she's saying, I don't think I'm going to see Hilda. That, that was her daughter, my grandmother, mm -hmm. again. I don't think I'm going to see you again. But let's always love each other. Let's always stay together, you know, spiritually and love each other and not love anyone else. And I hope you, I hope Hilda, her daughter, has a long and happy life. Mm -hmm. And that was the bit, I was like, God, that's incredible because I am part of that story. Mm -hmm. I am part of that long and happy life because she did go on and have a happy life, a sad life as well because she lost her mother mm -hmm. and, and she went through great trauma in her life. But she had a good and happy life. She, unfortunately, she died last year, my grandma. But that story continues, and I'm part of that story, and I've got the letter. It is quite incredible. Course, and also, yeah. when Jewish people die, mm. they, it, the, the, the surviving relatives mm. will always say, I yeah. wish you a long That's life. Fine, but she's not the yes. surviving so, relative. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it was mm. really, um, really moving. Virulent hatred of the other is everywhere we look. There is, of course, a specific case of anti-Semitism, which is frighteningly on the rise throughout Europe. But we see the virulent hatred of all sorts of others, you know, very strong anti-Muslim feeling. We see Donald Trump running a whole nation against Muslims and trying to ban them from coming into America. We see it in so many different ways. And I think that when we hit some kind of anniversary, like the 80th anniversary of Kristallnacht, it is an important cultural moment for us to stop and take stock, look back at history, see where we are now, and try and learn some lessons, try and reflect. And I think that that's something that art and culture can do. It can prompt us, societies, cultures, to pause, look, take stock, examine us questions. And I think that's a very important thing to do.